Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the DNVR Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of DNBR, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 70 of McChesney Unchained on thednvr.com. Uh, go check out the website. It's outstanding. They do a great job uh, covering all things Colorado sports. I am Matt McChesney as usual, coming to from my basement still, unfortunately. We'll get down to 6 Studios as soon as I can open up the doors down at 6 Football Academy and get back to work uh, with all the restrictions and rules and shit and how they differ county to county. Uh, it looks like we won't be able to get back to work until May 8th, and then there's going to be a ton of restrictions in that regard as well. So I guess we'll see what happens, but the sooner I can get back to work, the better. Uh, the situation is getting a touch ridiculous for me, but we're not going to talk about that today. I'm going to try and resist all the conspiracy theories and the just overall anger I have about the fact that I have to sit in my house because I might get a cough. So it is what it is. Uh, not trying to offend anybody, but that's bound to happen. Uh, regardless of what I say and how I say it, somebody's panties are going to get in a bunch. So uh, I guess I'll just deal with that as the emails roll in. God forbid somebody says something you don't like, uh, especially when it comes to COVID. Uh, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. This is episode 70 of McChesney Unchained, and let's rock the house with a little bit of truth. Uh, I've been watching The Last Dance. I thought it was outstanding. Again, three and four played last night. Uh, the first two episodes were kick ass. I'm a huge Jordan fan. I love that era of Bulls team. I don't care if I was bandwagon when I was growing up in the 90s. And they were awesome. And I loved Rodman. And I thought they were just about as good as you can get. And I'm not the only one. So, you know, to find that Michael Jordan was hyper competitive and he didn't really get along with a lot of people, that's not surprising at all. And that's what leaders and elite athletes are like, the majority of them. Um, you know, I firmly believe this, but the guy who has the most friends in the room is full of shit. Nobody has that many friends. you got to stand for something or you'll fall for everything. Um, you know, the, the Pippin drama about wanting to get paid and how he got, I don't know, how he duped himself into signing that awful contract that he signed, but he definitely did. And then the, the whole Rodman thing, you know, <laughs> the, the ability to just, just walk into Phil... Jackson's off and say, yo, I need a break in the middle of the season, at the beginning of the season, and go to Vegas for God knows how long with Carmen Electra, of all people. It's just pure swag. And I don't know if he'd get away with it these days, but he definitely got away with it then on the best basketball team in the NBA. And look, it's because he's good. I mean, the, the more the more that you produce and the better that you are at your craft, the more bullshit people are going to put up with. So... I mean, Robbins has, has more bullshit to put up with than damn near anybody, so he had to be really good with us. Um, I just love all the old school clips they're showing, how good LeBron, or LeBron, how good Michael Jordan was when he was young. And I, I, you know, I just tripped over myself and said LeBron, but both guys have a lot in common. LeBron had to cut his teeth and get through a lot of different adversity and overcome a lot of different players to get his championship. And so did MJ. MJ didn't just walk in and start dominating. I mean, he, he had to overcome the Pistons and the Celtics and bad basketball teams that he was carrying and things of that nature. So, 
One of the most played out and tired arguments out there right now is that you can't think LeBron and MJ are both the goats. There's five guys on the basketball team. I would run one true center and just four dudes that can shoot. I mean, I put MJ, Kobe, LeBron, Magic, and pick a big guy, Shaq, Will, uh, Kareem, I don't care. Sean fucking Bradley at that point, doesn't matter. I mean, it, the, with those four on the, on the floor, Dennis Robin, throw him in there, shirts, shirts all above throw him in there. The Admiral David Robinson, throw him in there. Timmy Duncan, the big fundamental. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There's so many good players. I think everybody should just accept the fact that guys are elite. Everybody does it a little bit differently. Uh, you can't deny Jordan's greatness, and you can't deny LeBron's greatness either. I mean, LeBron is like a perfect combination of Jordan and Magic. And I, I, I think that it's really, really played out and stupid when people are like, oh, you got to pick one. You can't just think both are good. You either love LeBron and hate MJ, or you love, love MJ and hate LeBron. I think that's ridiculous. So I'm looking forward to next week's uh, episodes of The Last Dance, and we'll keep talking about that, obviously, as we go. Um, all right, so keep in mind that we're going to be having an interview with the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Carl Durrell, will be on the show with us as we wrap things up a little bit down the road, but we'll we'll get you there as we go, uh, so don't go anywhere. Let's dive into the NFL draft here, man. Um, I'm not going to do the whole winners and losers grades and, you know, you can't grade a draft class. We'll see what happens when it all plays out. The undrafted free agents sometimes become some of the best players in your roster, so I'm very interested to see how that played out as well because that's something that you're just going to have to evaluate when they get into camp because right now it's just a name on a piece of paper. It's hard to judge who did a good job in that regard. I think it's hard to judge who did a great job in the draft also just because of I, I don't like giving grades initially to drafts. So, But I will say this. There's certain things that are alarming okay like when the Packers move up to draft Jordan Love and then draft a 250 pound running back right after that and AJ Dillard I'm not I don't question whether Love and Dillard can play that's not what I'm talking about I my question is why would you spend the picks now on, on like that on a team that was in the NFC title game last year that's you know maybe one or two pieces away and sewing up some holes from being a Super Bowl contender, and you already have Aaron Rodgers, and your back last year went for 1,800 or something like that, and he was killing people. And then you go out and you buy, you get a first-round rookie quarterback and a second-round rookie running back. And I understand the rookie running back is a is a total is a different player than the running back you have currently, but Dillard is a hammer, and obviously they're going to run the shit out of the ball. I'm again with the way that. The Packers got chopped up in the NFC title game by the Niners. Maybe you go get a middle linebacker right there. Go draft Luke Wilson, who went to the Bengals, who is going to be an unbelievably good pro uh, out of Wyoming. Great pickup. Or you you go get the best defensive tackle available to pin, pin, you know, put him next to Kenny Clark and see if you can sew up some of that some of the problems you had. You go get another. You know you go get a, a uh, an offensive lineman for Aaron Rodgers so they can handle you know a, a line like San Francisco like Chicago in their own division, like Minnesota in their own division. So if I'm Aaron Rodgers, my question to Coach LaFleur is, hey, what the fuck, man? I mean, come on. You're not giving us a whole lot to work with here. Hopefully the undrafted free agents and the rest of that draft are better, but I was scratching my head on that one. And then the Dolphins. I thought the Dolphins did a pretty good job. I mean, they had tons of picks, and they ended up getting Tua, and I wouldn't play Tua next year, especially with – Fitzmagic on the on the roster. I was a rookie with Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was in St. Louis when we were both there together. And, you know, the man's from Harvard, and he's a big brain, and he can rifle it, and he's not scared to try and fit it in a small window. That's why he throws a ton of picks, but it's also why he's successful and, and his his uh, his wrists pay off big time. So I, I personally think that Fitzmagic will have a great year. And even if he doesn't, you know, maybe play Rosen, see what happens there. But Tua needs to sit in red shirt and just get fully healthy and learn and get his feet underneath him. Or or if he's healthy by midseason and they're out of it or relatively competitive, one of the two, I think you play him. You know, I'm not saying that if they're relatively competitive and you feel like he can add a spark, play him. If they're out of it and you feel like you just need to see your rookie, play him. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they just hold him back and grow. Getting the justice kid at left tackle, you know, there was a lot of people saying he's not one of the top four, and he went fifth out of the offensive linemen that play left tackle. But I'll say this, look, Justin Jackson from USC is a different kind of kid. He helped his sister 
you know, he it, before his senior season with a bone marrow transplant, it, it really screwed with him. He didn't get his feet underneath him until maybe the fifth or sixth week of the season. If he would have come out last year, maybe he goes higher than this. I don't know. It's still a first-round left tackle. I think he could be one of the best ones of the bunch. He's a great player. I, I really liked what Miami did. They accumulated a lot of picks. They tried to fill a lot of holes on top of what they did in free agency. But after playing for the Dolphins, it is an organization that seems to take one step forward, two steps back an awful lot. They haven't won a playoff game since 2000. So we'll see what happens with the Dolphins. But I was at least impressed with what uh, Flores and all those guys down there in South Beach did. All right. The virtual draft, man. Look, um, I dug the virtual draft. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was cool. Uh, I don't really care one way or the other. I'm not going to go to the draft as a live, live event and like stand in the crowd and just scream for a draft pick. I'm not doing that shit. That's not me. I think the draft is a, is a, uh, you know, a, a sofa event. And I miss the old format to be completely honest with you. We used to have man day, uh, or man weekend where it would just be, you know, parties and the draft and all the dudes and cards and, you know, other stuff, use your imagination. And it, you know, it was fun. And now it's over three days. And Friday, it didn't start till like 10 o'clock at night, it felt like. And Saturday was the same way. And then Sunday, it started really quick before people got out of bed. So <laughs> Roger Goodell, you know, first round was standing up and really excited. Second round, he's sitting in his lazy boy. Third round, he might as well just be laying down flat in the fetal position, you know, asking for a back rub. Uh, four through seven, he made some some scrub from the NFL office go out there and do it. So... <laughs> it was what it was. If anything, maybe this makes people understand that the coaches don't necessarily need to be at the office for 18 hours a day. I never understood why coaches slept at the office. Like, what kind of fucking work can we be doing at 2.30 in the morning after we've been here since 6 in the morning? Like, at some point, it's just analysis by paralysis, or paralysis by analysis. And you're just, you're hurting yourself by overanalyzing everything. Yeah, you might pick up something, but teams do what they do. And, you know, the the fact that they all these coaches kind of kind of step back and understand that the benefits of technology and Zoom and all that kind of shit, it will it allows them to maybe during the offseason to spend more time with their families and to be more attentive to their children and, you know, be a better husband and father, things of that nature. So I liked it. I liked the virtual aspect of the draft. I don't think it'll ever happen like this again because it's too much of a moneymaker. It's an event now. And whichever city gets it, it's going to boost their economy. So it'll never happen again like this. But it was cool. Uh, the only thing I will say is that Bill O'Brien, bro, you're in front of a camera, homie. You don't need to be. You don't need to be screaming. No, you effing Colin. That's your effing pick. And turn around like truck your kid as you walk out because he's just standing there. I mean, look, man, I got a foul mouth, but you're on national TV, homie. People can lips can lip read. So I'm just saying, Bill O'Brien. Kind of a dick. <laughs> Just saying. It is what it is. <laughs> All right. Broncos draft. Okay. So, let's get into this. Jerry Judy. Great pick. Great player. Unbelievable talent. Has the ability to be an absolute superstar. I hope they let him wear number 10, but I'm sure that the NFL's stupid-ass rules will make him wear like 88 or something. Uh, K.J. Hamler. Don't have a problem with where with picking K.J. Hamler. It's a problem of where they picked him. And, and, you know, the <clears throat> the absolutely uh, incredible uh, uh, corner from Iowa who slipped in the draft. Super athletic, freak show on interceptions, but a lack of consistency. Uh, I like the center, the the uh, the Lloyd Crushenberry the third from LSU. I dig that pick. Uh, I like the fact that they went out and invested in a center. They could have just paid their center, Connor McGovern. Because Look, and I'll wrap this into the next pick. They go out and pick Albert, Albert Alphabet, who was uh, Drew Locke's tight end in college. Well, Connor McGovern was his left tackle when he was a freshman. They had great rapport. Why don't you want Connor to stay at center? If you're so high and mighty about bringing in Locke's, you know, Tight end from Missouri has great rapport with. How about his friend that plays center for him? You don't think the, the center and the quarterback need to have rapport? So that that's a little contradictory in my opinion, but maybe just people don't know. Uh, but, you know, you bring in Lloyd, and it's a great pick. I dig it. He's fresh off a national title. He's a big, nasty SOB. He makes all the calls. He's extremely disciplined. I just I, I don't understand why we keep letting the guys we develop in the o, in the offensive line room walk out the door constantly for big contracts. It happens 
almost every year. So, you know, it's just Connor McGovern's the next one. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the next guy. It should be Bowles, but he can't play. Oh, I'm sorry if I hurt anybody's feelings, it's, and especially Ryan Kulsenberg. We're going to talk about his sensitivity on this matter here in a minute. And I love you, Ryan, but you're wrong on this. Uh, the rest of the draft is what it is. I, I like the, the, the Mutai kid in the sixth round. Uh, the Cleveland, another receiver, Cle, uh, Cleveland in the seventh is what it is. Look, man, this is my beef. You take away one of those third-round picks and the fifth-round pick, and you trade to, to the Redskins for Trent Williams, and then you actually light a fire under Bull's ass, and you make him compete for playing time at guard or playing time at tackle, or you just cut him and you set a president. Like, we're not even bringing you back, dude. We'll let Elijah Wilkinson be the swing guy instead of Elijah go go compete with Garrett at left tackle rather than Elijah being the swing player at guard and tackle. And then when somebody goes down, which Jawan James has been known to do, then Elijah can step in and play right tackle. But I feel like if Trent Williams would have been added to this draft, if you take away... Take away the defensive tackle from from uh, from uh, NC State, who I think is a good player. Take him out of the fold and take the fifth rounder, uh, Justin Saran, from Wake Forest out of the fold. I would trade those two guys for Trent Williams right now. Even though you got to pay him and he might be a little bit of a prima donna, he's really, really good. And he's going to allow Drew Locke to just sit in the backfield back there and pick people apart. And I understand that that Bowles got better last year at the end of the season when Locke was there, and he only gave up one sack and one pressure. That's great. For the first two and a half, three years, though, it's been atrociously terrible. Maybe the worst offensive line play I've seen at that position in the history of the Broncos, especially over that extended period of time. Most guys don't last that long. Most guys last a, a week if you play like that consistently. So... I I want to believe that maybe things are going to turn around and he's figured it out, but I need to see it. And the fact that they didn't even address it is really, really concerning to me, knowing it's a massive problem. And people can, like, fan, fan blind themselves as much as they want. And Ryan is, look, Ryan's not a fan. Ryan Kulsenberg is a, is a bona fide media member. He knows what he's talking about. I've had multiple conversations with my boy about football. He's not just some guy that's, writing a blog, okay? He's not one of these idiots that lives in his mommy's basement and his fingers are covered with Cheeto residue. He's pounding Mountain Dew Code Red. He's got a definite subscription to Pornhub. That's not him, all right? I don't know about the Pornhub thing, but that's not him. <laughs> Love you, Ryan. I'm just saying that with how sexy this draft is and how fast the Broncos got and all that kind of shit and the great free agent signings, Case getting Casey for a seventh rounder, that's a great call. You know, getting... Going out and signing uh, Melvin Gordon, who I, you know, it is what it is. I'd like to see Phil Lindsay get the majority of the work, but Melvin Gordon is a bona fide first round running back who can fucking play. So you don't not bring him in. I like it. Uh, I, I like the moves that they've made, man. Going getting going and getting the cornerback from Jacksonville. Maybe Callahan will be uh, healthy this year from Chicago. There are your corners. You know, it puts a lot of pressure on all the guys that are going to be fighting for that slot position. So. My thing is, every other position on the field is either being backed up or upgraded, but tackle. And tackle is our biggest problem. Now, this is what I hope happens. I hope, I hope that Schlotman, Austin Schlotman, keeps developing into a day one starter like he should be. He played a lot for the Broncos at the end of the year. I've been working with Austin a long time. He's a great kid from TCU. He went undrafted. He probably should have gotten drafted. Went undrafted, he's worked his ass off to put himself in position to be successful. You can play that guy at left guard, and and get and you'll be just fine. And he'll kick some ass. And then you move Reisner to left tackle, which I know he can play. 100%. Not even a question. It might take him a couple of weeks to acclimate the stance and get things going, but I guarantee you Dalton can go play that position. And then you have Reisner, Schlotman, Cushenberry the third. Glasgow, and then you have a huge competition with Elijah, Jawan, and Garrett at the right tackle position. You see which guy wants it, and then you get rid of the other guy. You keep Elijah as your swing guy, and you figure out if Jawan or Garrett is going to be your guy over there, and you roll. But this fact that like Garrett can keep playing at this subpar level, this 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 level that gets us beat consistently, consistently, 
is unbelievable to me, especially with the Denver Broncos, a, a franchise that I played for, and I know how they operate internally. I know what they stand for. You know, when, when I was a kid growing up here, I grew up watching Zimmerman and Tony Jones and the great Matt Lepsis. And, you know, when I played for the Broncos, I was playing next to Clady and Harris and Columbus and guys like that. Like It just, we're better than this. And I want Garrett to be successful. I'm sorry that everybody thinks it's just pure hate. It's not. It's not pure hate. I don't hate the kid. I don't know him. I don't give a shit. This is business. I don't care if people's feelings get hurt, especially if you're a, a media member or whatever, and your feelings are getting hurt that somebody's ripping apart or, or excuse me, not ripping apart, constructively criticizing from a, from a perspective of expertise, because that's what I, I'm an expert at this shit. I think he can get really, I think he can get better. I think he can do it constructively and consistently. I think Coach Cooper, who I think is an out, was an outstanding player that I played with and trained with for a lot of years, Coach Cooper and Coach Munchak, who is a first bout Hall of Fame ass-kicking offensive lineman, I think they should be able to get it out of him. And I'm praying that Drew Locke and the system and everything else, I, I hope it clicked last year. And I hope it works. But at what point do you say, this is not fucking working and we got to figure it out? Because if the preseason hits and he struggles, you can't just be like, oh, he'll be fine week one. If he walks out there week one and he's the reason we lose... People are going to lose their damn minds. I mean, you had the Jones kid from Houston just sitting there in the second round. I'm not saying that K.J. Hamler is going to be a bad pick at all. He, the kid looks like he can absolutely fly. He looks like a water bug on the field. You know, he's quick as a damn hiccup. But you got to protect the quarterback in order to actually throw the ball down the field to all these fast people. You know, the it's very, it's very concerning to me that people's memories – are so short that they forget how much Kansas City has invested in their offensive line. Michael Schwartz is the best right tackle in football, and Eric Fisher was the first pick overall, and they took a ton of shit for it, but he's going to be the left tackle there for God knows how long, and obviously it works. He's a or he's a, a Super Bowl winning left tackle, and yeah, they did get Mahomes, and that's why they won. It's one of the reasons, but it's just another, it, it's another dude that you're adding to an already built foundation. With Mahomes walks in and he has Fisher and Schwartz and you know he's good off he have good guard play and good center play and they have Kelsey and they go out and get Sammy Watkins who was the fourth pick overall and they go get Lashawn McCoy and they have Williams and they just got dudes everywhere man that's what it is you know and Andy Reid understands the the importance of the offensive line and the trench and in my opinion we're ne we're neglecting the trench here in Denver especially the left tackle position so. I hope it gets worked out and fixed, and I pray to God that Garrett plays his ass off. There's nothing on earth that I would like more than to eat crow. I hope to God I eat crow. I'd like nothing more than to get on the radio and say, I was wrong. He's good. He's going to be here forever. We should re-sign him. That's what I want to say, but unfortunately, it hasn't been that way up to this point. Trent Williams, getting him for a third and a fifth. John Lynch, I mean, bro, if you're a Niner fan, you should be, doing, you should be sending him a Christmas card All right, in April. Thank you, John. Happy or, or Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Do you need a back rub? You just landed Trent Williams for a third and a fifth. I mean, shit. Do you have to pay the guy? Yeah, that's what good left tackles get. Paid. So pay him and move on. But Joe Staley was a hell of a player for San Francisco. Trent Williams is a better player than Joe Staley. So I, I really like this move. I know Ben Garland's pumped. Ben's one of my guys. He's done family for a long time. Another guy that Denver developed. And just let go. And honestly, Garland should have been playing center here forever. He should have been the center here since seven years ago. But he was developed after moving from defensive line. The guy put in a ton of work with me. He put a ton of work on himself at the facility. He did everything right, and they cut him. So it is what it is. Uh, and since then, he's been one of, the, one of the best players wherever he's been. And now he's back in San Francisco after starting another Super Bowl. So it is what it is. I wish Trent Williams was wearing orange and blue, but... We'll see if Jason Peters can get signed. It is what it is. All right, so let's get into this interview. Uh, we're going to bring on Coach Durrell here now on uh, McChesney Unchained, uh, episode 70 uh, on the DNVR.com. The, the head coach for the Golden Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Carl Durrell, joining us here. Don't go anywhere, folks. Uh, coach Durrell, how are you? Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey, Matt, my pleasure. Always, always fun to 
to get some representation and some talk with our in-state recruiting and how things are going. So very happy to be here. Uh, Coach, you know, just a little background on you. You know, you, you, you've been coaching for a long time. You've been, you were at UCLA. You were at UCLA, the head coach there. When we played, we played you guys in 03, and you had a, a long tenure at UCLA. You've been in the NFL for a long time. Just give everybody a little bit of a background on, especially the last 10, 12 years in, in the league, and because it's going to play right into the draft talk we're about to have. No, absolutely. You know, that UCLA experience was, was an awesome experience for me, my first head coaching job. And, you know, uh, it was a place that I was fond of, went to school there. Um, really, a really good experience. We had good teams. You know, we had five years with five straight bowl games. And and uh, we had a winning record there. And, you know, the, good, the issues that we were dealing with at that time is, you know, USC was doing so well at the time. Um, you know, and us being a neighboring school in the same city, you know, those things sometimes can get a little bit out of our control. But from a, from a program standpoint, we were definitely doing some really, really positive things, you know, graduating our players. You know, we had a lot of guys that were having opportunities to play in the league. And, you know, so I think what, what really helped me prior to my UCLA experience was my experience with the Denver Broncos as a receiver coach. And, you know, working under Mike Shanahan and, and understanding the, the pro game and the things in terms of what they're looking for and some things from that standpoint and development. And when I, after that UCLA experience and then going back to the NFL for the last, shoot, the last 12 years, it was, it's, it was, uh, you know, eye opening in terms of what, you know, the, the, the NFL game is in relation to the pro game. And, my 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 challenge and my my hope in which the staff I hired here at, at CU, you know we're gonna we're gonna develop guys to be the best you know at their craft at their as their positions and you know I feel like I have a really good staff that does a nice job with with bringing guys along in development and then obviously staying current to what the trending techniques and things are for for playing football in the National Football League and in college and. You know, I feel like this staff that, that that I was able to hire are going to be really in tune to those things, and that experience alone, because of my experience and and then the experience of these coaches, you know, we think we're going to have a very very unique product that I think will be very rewarding and challenging for other opponents to to deal with when we play in in our conference, but I also think is going to also get guys prepared to play on the next level that have the ability and the, and the know-how and, the, you know, and the skill set to play on the next level. So, you know, that's the goal. You know, I know a lot of these guys every year want to, you know, even I aspire to do when you want to play in the league, you want to play in the NFL and have a great career, but, you know, it takes, it takes a process. It takes training. It takes, you know, the right, being in the right situation at the right time. There's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think our place will kind of, we're going to prepare guys to be able to take those steps. Head coach of the Golden Colorado Buffaloes here on McChesney Unchained, episode 70 on dnvr.com. Mr. Carl Durrell joining us. Uh, coach, you talk about development, and one of the misconceptions, in my opinion, with a, a lot of the media and fans out there, and, and God bless them, but they don't necessarily think that maybe a first-rounder or a second-rounder needs to develop. And, you know, we saw LaVisca go in the second round. We saw Hambright go seventh. And we saw Davion Taylor go in the third to Philly. And then Montez obviously got picked up by the Redskins. Tony Brown got picked up as well. That's five guys into the league this year out of Boulder. And just looking at those five, especially LaVisca and Tony, after, you know, your expertise as a wide receiver coach, talk about those two a little bit. And then the developmental part of what you just spoke about, you know, how important it is for these guys to just go straight to work on learning the pro game and some of the differences. That's a great question. And that's kind of a tweet that I sent out this weekend was really congratulating uh, the guys that were selected in the, you know, with LaVisca, you know, and Davion and, you know, they go fairly early in the draft and, you know, and also in that tweet that I tweeted out is that, you know, the work's really now beginning. You know, you're not, you haven't made it. It's more, okay, you got the invitation to play. You know, what are you going to do in this next step now? You know, you're going to have to develop. You're going to have to kind of keep the pace of what the expectation is of you and that particular organization to be a factor in that organization. So it, it there is a 
still a process of learning and growing and adapting to the to the NFL game and and also the the aspect of you know getting better in your own skill set of of the positions and the and the aspects of those positions. I think you know you mentioned with Lavisca and Tony, you know two very good receivers, two different paths. You know Lavisca just tra- gets drafted in the second round and Tony you know signs as a free agent. Both of them are going to have a great opportunity, you know, with their respective teams and. And I've I've dealt with guys more in, in Tony's world than I have with having guys being drafted in my position, because you know usually, you know when you're picked up as a as an undrafted free agent, there's a, there's a reason and a purpose for you that these teams wanted you there for, you know. And some people would think that that's that's just saving you know grace as to well the kid didn't get drafted at least give him a shot to make the team. No, actually. I'm 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 used to I've had two guys in my past that have been undrafted free agents that have made big big impacts, you know, with places that I've been. You know, Robbie Anderson to be an example, yeah. uh, undrafted out of Temple uh, University that I had with the Jets, you know, and he he worked his tail off and got better and better, had some very productive years, and then he gets his payday this year with the Carolina Panthers, and then the other one was the kid I had last year. Uh, from Colorado State, actually, in uh, Preston Williams, you know, undrafted. And, you know, what the, the reasons of that doesn't matter. Just like the reasons of where you're drafted, it doesn't matter. I think Preston came in and worked his tail off. He wanted to be an impact player for us. He he climbed himself up into the depth chart where he actually was starting for us, along with Devontae Parker, you know, at wide receiver for when we lined up, you know, at the beginning of the season. And it's all because of his attitude and work ethic that he knew that he had to get going as soon as he, he got to, to the organization. So my advice to all these guys, doesn't matter where you're drafted, it, is, it really doesn't, first, second, third, seventh, it doesn't matter, is that you're going to have to strap it on, learn those systems, you know, get better with your skill set, you know, obviously adjust and adapt to the pro level. And you're going to have to make plays and be productive. You know, that's the bottom line. They're still drafting you or, or signing you to make plays and be productive, regardless of which way it took. There's an expectation there. And these guys got to understand it doesn't matter where you start. It's, it's really where you finish. And in the Vizca's case, and I had, this is funny, Matt, I'll, I'll mention it to you. You know, I had a young Maurice Jones Drew running back that left his junior year. He got drafted. He thought, yeah, great player, but he was so upset that he was drafted in the second round. You know, he says, I'm a first rounder. I said, well, you know, apparently not. (laughs) You know, he went in the second round. And and he's all upset. Well, you know, I'm going to get these guys. I'm going to prove this and prove that. Excuse excuse my dog here. And and the thing thing about it is that um, I told him this. I said, Maurice, it's not where you start. This first contract really doesn't mean anything. You know, that just gets you in the, you know, in the dance, you know, and you're going to work and you're going to prove yourself. I said, it's your second contract that you really, you know, you start to really make a name or make a, uh, make a standing about who you are in the league. And obviously his second contract was a big contract that they gave him a chance to, you know, to have the kind of life that he has right now. And, you know, and that's my advice. I just tell everybody this, just go to work. <laughs> Just go to work. You're drafted. Be excited. You know, celebrate with your family. You know, if you weren't drafted, still be excited. Understand you got a great opportunity in front of you. Go to work. You know, because you're going to have to prove it every step of the way. Head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Carl Durrell, joining us here on McChesney Unchained. Coach, I was undrafted in '04 uh, to the Jets, actually, and 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 then after my rookie year, after playing a lot as a rookie uh, for for Coach Herm Edwards, who one of my favorite people of all time. And one thing that he always used to say is one watch, one house, one car, one girl. And it, it's something that resonated with me as a rookie hard. And, you know, my first ever coach in the NFL was, was Bill Kolar, who's now the defensive line coach with the Broncos, who's half crazy. And my coaching in, in <laughs> it's true, you know it. And my yeah. coach in college was Coach Chris Wilson, who was there all five years I was at CU, who's now your defensive line coach, who's like my father. Uh, and a man that I love and adore who taught me how to play this game the way that I, the way that I did play and the way that I coach. And it, one of the things that you said in, in, that, in that statement that resonates with me is the work starts now. And that's one thing that I, I talk to all my guys about constantly is 
the foundation and what you're building right now is the key. Getting there isn't the, the point. What you do when you get there is the most important part, and it resonates that way in the NFL. And Absolutely. The, Absolutely. The, the guys that get drafted are targets, in my opinion. So they, they better go to work because those guys that didn't get drafted, coming from a guy who didn't, we, we're real hungry to prove that we should have gotten the paycheck that you're getting. So it, it is something that uh, I'm definitely talking to my guys about on a daily basis. Uh, all right, so as we move forward here away from the draft and away from the NFL, uh, a couple more questions for you, and then we'll get you out of here. Thank you again for, for being a part of this. Um, Coach, Colorado, you know, when you were there in the 90s, we were smashing face, and I was going to every game as a kid and the dream to play there and, you know, putting out pros every 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 year and, you know, 10-win seasons back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And, and now moving to the Pac-12, number one, the move to the Pac-12, how do you feel about that and now being a, a head coach in the Pac-12? And then also, not necessarily how do we get us back to that point because it was a special time in history, but what can you say to, to, to Buffalo Nation here and the fans and, and people listening about how we're going to institute some of those, the, the old feeling of just when you walk into Folsom and we close the gate on you, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I tell you, it's a – you know, those those are those feelings that you and I remember, even as an assistant, that we had such a special place. And 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 then part of it is the way that you 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 teach the respect, the honor, the the dedication, the you know all the all the four you know all the players that came before. You know, they they established this program to be you know who they are and. It just we just haven't been in that been shown in that light the last you know four or five years. But you know the bottom line is getting our culture back intact. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm I've been stressing. Um, you know, and it means culture means a lot of different things. It means you know being the best you can be as a player. You know, both on and off the field. You know, you're going to be responsible. You're going to be responsible with your teammates. You're going to you know, you're going to be counted upon, you know, you're counting upon your teammates. You know, there's a, a level of play that you're expected to play and you're expecting your your teammates to play along that same level. You know, it's all of those things hand in hand. You know, you know the term shoulder to shoulder, what that means. It means everybody on the same page about what's going on and the expectations. So that's, we're going to, we're going to just kind of highlight about that, that process. And there's a, there's a respect that goes along that way, um, and that's got to be something that's nurtured and embraced to be part of your fabric, you know. And, and those are the things that I think are really important to start with with our current team. And then, like you said, for us to sustain a high level of play, we have to bring in like-minded individuals that are great players that, you know, understand that they they, they have a, a role to, to take when they do step on this campus about elevating ourselves to be a, a highly, you know, sought after uh, program. And, you know, sometimes it's the easy, it's an easy job for a guy that's a, a high decorated recruit to go to a team that's, you know, been ranked in the top five in the country, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm going to join this program because that's what they, that's what they are and that's who I am and things like that. Well, actually that program was already good prior to you getting there. And, you know, you're just going to hope to try to sustain it. Where at our place, we're, we're, we're recruiting you to be a difference maker within our program to elevate us, to get us to the showcase of where we should be. And that to me is a lot more, uh, there's more lure, there's more satisfaction, you know, there's more job well done in that scenario than it is just to just keep people at a high level. And, you know, ask the guys that have been, you know, let's get a couple of pro examples. You know, there's a new thing out that everybody's watching on ESPN with Michael Jordan. Well, he was drafted with oh, Bulls awesome. that, you know, they weren't they weren't very good, okay, until he got there. And he worked his tail off to get him to that level. And that's why his name is what it is in terms of the Bull organization. The same thing you can say with LeBron with the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, they weren't going to win a championship until he got there and to help elevate that scenario. And there's a bunch of places, so on and so forth that way, you know. And 
my point is we want difference makers. We want guys that want that kind of allure, that want to make, you know, put a program at a, at a point where, shoot, who, who is responsible for that? Well, they're going to name a, you know, some key individuals, and, you know, you want to be one of those names. So we, we want some unique guys. You know, we want guys that, you know, they understand the challenge, that want to get, you know, it's hard work, and nothing's going to be given. We're going to earn our stripes to be in the type of program that we're capable of becoming. And we don't want any shortcuts either because we want to build it, you know, each and every year to have this thing or a certain standing every year. So, you know, those are the caliber of kids that I think are out there. I know there's a lot of Colorado kids in state that feel the same way I feel in terms of what this place should be. And and so we're going to start with those guys, and obviously we'll build it with some other places and some surrounding states. But we definitely want our best players to stay right here and have such great pride in, in our institution out here in Boulder. Amen. All right, so last question that I have for you today here, Coach, and, and it's kind of a two-part. It's number one, with the new Pac-12 and the way it's set up, so much of, of Colorado in the you know late 80s, early 90s, and sustaining that all the way to the time when they went to the Pac-12, so much of it was centered around winning in November and beating your rivals. So at least that's the way that I was brought up there under Coach Barnett. We had red-letter games. You go out and you beat CSU to start the year the right way. You beat Kansas State. You beat Nebraska. And, you, you know, you, you beat whoever else we read letter, and you're playing for a championship. And, and every time he told us that if we did that we, we, and we beat our rivals, that we would be playing for a title, we did. So I guess here's my question. Do we need to, to bookmark somebody a rival? And who in your eyes in the South do you want to go after the hardest? I'm assuming it's UCLA, but I'll let you answer that. And then <laughs> And then – the 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 second part of this is, do you really think that that's important anymore? Because I went to the last two Nebraska games. I went to the one in Lincoln two years ago, which was incredible, and the one in Boulder last year, which was equally incredible. And it felt like old football. And I know that they're starving for a rival, too. So just give me your thoughts on that, and then we'll wrap you up and get you out of here. Yeah, I, I think rival games are huge. You know, the the thing that was disappointing in my mind, I think the move to the Pac-12 was great. I mean, I think it was great for Colorado. You know, we, we've always had some Western part of the country uh, exposure and being a part of the, the Pac-10 at the time and moving it to the Pac-12, I think, was a, was a great move. I think that was the right move. What I missed about that move is what you just said, though. I mean, the rival game of playing against Nebraska, always in November, always late. You know, it's been it's been a it's been kind of one of the pillars to how we always look forward to our season, starting out like you said with Colorado State, and then winning in November, and then the red letter game. So, you know, it, there was a there was a system to it. Um, are those things still important? Absolutely. You know, I think there's, you know, who, who in the, in the, in the South division, you know, right now we got, you know, five other teams, including our, and then in addition ourselves that make up the South. And, you know, the teams that have been winning, you know, that have been right there on the, on the cusp of being among the top has been Utah. You know, Utah has been there as, you know, as, as much as anybody. If there, if anything else has been, you know, US, USC and UCLA, a little bit, a little bit of Arizona State, but Utah, I think lately has been, you know, a pretty solid program, you know, uh, most, most of the way in the South. And, you know, so we, we, I think our approach is, is obviously take care of the games that we play in the South. I think those are all critical games in terms of how we placed our level of importance on all of them. Um, but the bottom line is that we got to be a factor in the end. You know, that's really how we have to look at it. we got to be playing for the South Division so they can play for the Pac-12 championship. So whatever it takes to get there is what's important, and that, that's what changes every year. And and, uh, and I think right now uh, we're trying to get ourselves in that light, you know, where we're going to be con- one of the considerations of a team that that should be talked about, you know, to win that, to win the South. And we've got some work to do that, to do, to get there, but, you know, that's the challenge we have right now. Well, Coach, thank you so much for coming on the show. Episode 70, McChesney Unchained here on DNVR.com. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really pumped up that you're back in Boulder and the staff you've, you've put together is outstanding. And I know that you guys are, are committed to recruiting Colorado and keeping those guys home. And that's also something that, that is, is, is near and dear to my heart being a Colorado kid. So 
Uh, I'll keep I'll keep pushing those names up there and get those guys in front of you, and you guys keep developing the hell out of them and go win some football games, brother. Thank you very much for all you do, Coach. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for having I'll me on. My friend. That was a hell of an interview with the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Carl Durrell, uh, talking NFL draft and the guys that got drafted and the process moving forward for those young men, so on and so forth. So I think we got the right guy up in Boulder, to say the least. Uh, personally, I think that the staff got a massive upgrade when Coach Durrell came in. The defensive line got better, bringing in Coach Wilson. Uh, coach Rodriguez, I'm interested to see how he does with the offensive line. I thought Coach Cap was pretty awesome. Did a great job bringing the juice. Uh, you know, I thought the secondary upgraded, although Coach Tillman is a great coach. I like the guy they brought in from Arizona. Uh, and, you know, obviously keeping Coach Shiv in his role and then upgrading him to the offense coordinator is huge. Can't wait to see what Coach Shiv does this year. Keeping Coach Hagan on staff is huge. Keeping uh, uh, my my man Brian McGinnis around is huge. McGinnis is, is one of the best at his job in, in all the country. Uh, player personnel director on the right hand of the head coach. So, and and anybody that I didn't talk about, you know, it's we're glad you're there to say the least. Tyson Summers, you're the man. We're, you know, I'm really glad Coach Summers stayed on as the DC, and I think that that defense led by Landman and Mustafa Johnson and Lang and all those boys is going to be nasty to say the least. Uh, so the Colorado Buffaloes, obviously, we'll we'll talk about you know, more as we get closer to football season, whenever that is going to be. And God forbid it, it doesn't happen, but I guess we'll see. Uh, when, you know, Coach Durrell talking about the complete football player and, and guys that he's recruiting that he wants to be good students and good players, you know, what the guy does in the classroom and off the field is a precursor to how he's going to act on the field. And I know this because when I was in high school and college, I didn't take it as seriously as I should have until about my junior season. And or my sophomore year, I'll say my freshman year, I was a total fuck boy and I dicked around. I didn't do the right thing. And it, it cost me. It cost me when I got into the NFL. It cost me getting drafted. The the mistakes I made when I was in college kept me from being a draft pick and with 60 tackles and 12 TFLs and nine sacks as a senior uh, at the University of Colorado. So you put those kind of numbers up and you think that you would be you would have a little bit more accolade. But because of the off the field and the character issues and getting sued for downloading music, which I thought was total bullshit, but whatever, uh, and everything else, you know, and, and the fact that CU was in a scandal at the time, uh, it, it caused all of us to go undrafted. Sam Wilder went undrafted, Bobby Purify went undrafted, I went undrafted, everybody did that year. So uh, it, it was a very humbling moment of my life, and I watched 27 guys go get drafted at my position in front of me, guys that I thought I was better than. And when I got moved to offense, it was another moment in your life where you have to think about, like, well, what if, 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 can I, should I still be doing this? Or, you know, should I just change positions and roll? And I just changed position and rolled and, and, and embraced the challenge. And I know I'm hardcore, and I know I'm hard on my guys that I work with. But it's because I know what it's like to be cut, and I know what it's like to sign a big contract. I know what it's like to lose everything in one minute, and I know what it's like to get your pension and get a severance check every month and to have benefits and things of that nature that you worked for. I'm hard on my guys, and I'm, I'm uncompromising and, and things of that nature because everybody else out here is so damn soft, and they sit on their hands, and they don't do the things that they say they're going to do, and it makes guys who actually do their job constantly have to defend themselves because the rest of the people out here working are so hypocritical and contradict themselves so much that they people think everyone's like that and it's just not the case it's not the case with a lot of folks guys that have played big time college football and gotten into the NFL and had a taste or played and had their pension like myself it it changes the way you think i'm i'm a one percenter i don't think like regular people i can't help it and it, I clash with folks, especially parents at times, because what I do is not about getting offered. And I just got off the phone with Coach Durrell. We spoke for 20 minutes before we did our interview about grades, humbling individual athletes that need to be humbled so they can maximize themselves because they're worried about the wrong shit, and trying to deal with the, the a parent who loves their child and doesn't want to hear anything negative but also doesn't understand that it's not negativity, it's criticism. And criticism needs to be gained constructively so we can move forward and get better. But there's a difference between criticism and cover-up. There's a difference between 
doing something at 100% and saying you do something at 100%. If you're not complete off the field or you're not trying to be, you'll never be complete on it, ever. And the guys that figure this out first get along with me really well. And the guys that don't, don't stay around very long. You can't be in the program with bad grades. It's not going to work out. It's just, it's impossible to get recruited. And the coaches are really worried about it. If your grades are lacking, you're not going to get opportunities. And these are facts. So I think Coach Durrell is the right guy for the job up there in Boulder. And I'm damn proud that he is the guy, uh, to say the least. And that defensive line front seven is going to be so damn nasty, uh, being led by the GOAT, in my opinion, Mr. Chris Wilson, who is the best defensive line coach I've ever been around. Uh, got a fat-ass Super Bowl ring. There's nothing cooler than being on Radio Row when the Eagles and Patriots played up in Minnesota other than it was four degrees outside. Couldn't have gone to Miami, huh? Uh, but just seeing him on Radio Row and it, just the, the five minutes we spent together and giving him a hug and taking a picture and the camaraderie and, you know, he was my coach. He's, my, he's like a father to me. I love that man. So to see him succeed at that level, it was big time. It, it brought tears to my eyes, and it makes me choke up a little bit now because I was so damn proud of him. And, you know, he wanted this job. He wanted to come home, and I'm glad he's here. So, look, if you can't tell that I love the University of Colorado and that uh, I have passion for that place, you're either deaf or you are a Nebraska fan. Um, but at the same time, I don't love it so much that I just shovel everybody up there that I work with. You have to earn the right to get recruited. It's never, uh, th this is the misconception. It's not what I do. I'm the bridge. It's not what I do. The guys that walk in and put their nose to the stone and let me do my job and stop worrying about how they get offered and who calls them and, you know, how, how the situation is going for other people. Like if somebody else at your position gets offered and you don't like it, like you can handle it two ways. You can either bitch and complain to people that don't have any power over it because they didn't offer because they never complain to the coaches, ever. Or you can just put your nose to the stone and go to fucking work and earn it. And, and people, uh, people, guys who have offers already, you should have no problems in your life. You, you have it set. You're going to school for free already. All you have to do is focus on becoming the best player possible. Work on your flexibility, your strength and conditioning. Work on your mental preparation for the game so you understand what 11, 3 by one bunch, tight end, ISO... Under Sam Stack, cover one, fence, strong safety force means. You know how to protect it with 1670 protection. You know how to run one back power, Sarah and Sally, out of it. You know how to isolate out of the bunch and run Gator. You know what that means. You know, it, it's not as easy as just lining up and playing technical football. It's not one-on-one. -on -one. It's 11 on 11, and it is chess, not checkers. So, look. I am, I am a massive believer in what you do on a daily basis sets you apart. And in my opinion, the repetition and the daily, the, the daily work is what's going to build a great foundation for you to be successful. So it is what it is. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the future, uh, and I can't wait for all this horse shit to be over with and we can get back to work. Uh, the, all the Dungeon family out there working, everybody that was out on the fields, uh, this morning, great job. Way to put your nose to the stone and get it done. Uh, focus on what you can control, and and good things will happen, I promise. Uh, focus on everybody else and what you can't control, and you'll go fucking nuts. I am Matt McChesney. That was episode 70 of McChesney on Chain on thednvr.com. Uh, hats off to everybody doing the draft work this weekend, from Ryan Kosenberg to Allie to Spano to Mace and Henry and Andre. Everybody did a great job, so... Uh, go Buffs, go Broncos. Thanks for listening, folks. 71 will be spicy, and uh, we'll let you know who we're uh, interviewing down the road. All right? Take it easy, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye.